Hello, and welcome to Central. I'm Ben Sloan, an ordained United Methodist pastor in the Western North Carolina Conference. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about issues that are central to life and Christianity. At the end of each podcast, I'll ask some questions for you to think about and reflect on. And you can do that as an individual or with other folks. I hope this will lead to good, enriching thought and conversation. This is our second week in a two-part series on the lessons that the book of Jonah has for us during the pandemic. If you haven't listened to last week's, go check it out first. And in it, I go over the big picture of the book of Jonah, and I'm not going to repeat that again in this episode. Last week, we imagined what it would have been like for the people of Nineveh when the judgment Jonah foretold did not come to pass. This week, we're actually going to be looking at a part of the story that happens before Jonah even gets to Nineveh. In our scripture passage, we'll hear about Jonah on the run. This takes place after he's been called to go to Nineveh, but instead of being obedient, he gets on a boat to head the opposite direction. Here, the story picks up in Jonah 1, 4 through 16. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came up upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, 
and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. There are two components of this story that really speak to me, now especially. As we find ourselves in difficult, stormy times, the danger of the pandemic isn't as acute or immediate as the threat of being capsized in a ship at sea, but it is a real significant danger to us all. Even if we're not personally at great physical risk, the impact on family members who are, the impact on mental health, the economy, and countless other aspects of our lives does make this a significant ongoing threat. And so the two components of this story that I'd like to focus on are the responses to that danger, first by the sailors and then by Jonah. The sailors immediately recognize the threat that faces them. And I will admit, it doesn't take an expert uh, mariner to know that they were in danger. Any person at all would feel the boat tipping. They'd see the wind and the rain and the thunder. They'd hear the groaning of the wood and the whipping of the sails as they reached their breaking point. The threat would have been clear to anyone, but much more intimately to the sailors. See, they would have had a range of experiences that they could use for comparison. They would have been through countless storms. They would have known what was normal and what was a cause for concern. I've actually been on a plane in the air when the wing caught fire. I don't have to be a pilot to know that that was a bad sign. We turned around and landed and everybody was safe. But, but what about how much turbulence is too much? I don't really have the experience to know that. I, I might start worrying if the trip gets a little too bumpy, but I don't really know what's normal and what's not. So, you know, in this story, it's serious when they get everyone to pray to their gods. But then again, that doesn't cost much, does it? A few moments to implore for safety and deliverance. You know it's even more serious when they realize that won't be enough. So they start throwing cargo overboard. What I see here is an emergency and a response guided by experts who recognize the situation cannot be navigated without sacrifice. A cost will need to be paid to get through this emergency safely. I think one of the greatest failings in addressing the pandemic has been our inability or unwillingness to recognize and weigh the costs of our actions and inactions. I was frustrated to see how early on we had across-the-board shutdowns, including in more remote or rural areas that had no contact practically with the virus. This was frustrating for me because self-control and self-denial are, are limited resources. And so to burn up that self-control early on when there was very little threat I felt and I feel has endangered us now down the road because it promoted skepticism in the reality of the danger when people didn't see a difference in their own community and it lowered people's tolerance for drastic action later. It's as if the sailors started pitching the cargo while the sky was still blue and the birds were still singing. The time for pitching cargo would come 
but doing it at an inappropriate time undermines faith in the judgment of the sailors. Furthermore, this crisis has affected different people and different groups in drastically different ways. The threat of a storm at sea is a lot more perilous to someone who can't swim than it is to a strong swimmer. They're going to have a different threshold for when it's time to start throwing things overboard. Likewise, not everyone had equal amounts of cargo on the ship. Jonah was just a passenger, we know. He would have only had his meager personal possessions with him. Merchants would have had a lot more to lose. So you'd expect the passengers with more cargo to be a bit slower to heed the calls to lighten the load on the ship. There's a collective response to the threat at hand, but not everyone has the same interests or risk tolerance. Not everyone is equally invested in the response that the sailors lead. The pandemic poses an immediate health risk to the elderly and those with certain pre-existing health conditions. The weight of the response to the pandemic, I would argue, has been heavily, not exclusively, but heavily born by the young. The weight of working and childcare together has pushed many people to their breaking points. And I'm not just talking in abstract terms here. I can say I've personally interacted with a number of people here in this community who have had to seek mental health treatment because of the situation we're in, because this is too much for people to bear. The pandemic has been particularly hard, too, on women who have disproportionately shouldered the extra burden of childcare, and has been rough on minority groups who are less likely to be able to work remotely, more likely to be at risk of contracting the disease, and less likely to have adequate health care if they do. I don't know how to weigh these things. In our metaphor with the ship in the storm, I'm not the captain. I'm not even a sailor. I'm a passenger. But even as a passenger, I can recognize that we need to have these conversations. And if we want our response to be effective, if we want to save lives and livelihoods, we need to acknowledge all the costs of a potential course of action or inaction. Where the metaphor breaks down is that the sailors and passengers have to react immediately to a short-term threat. We're in this for the long haul. And we do have time to consider our response. So that's the sailor's response. But now let's look at Jonah's. One of the central ideas in the book of Jonah is an inversion of the idea of what it means to be God's elect or God's chosen people. Jonah, in many ways, is a stand-in for the Israelite people. But rather than being obedient to God, we see him being disobedient. And the people around him, be it the sailors or the folks in Nineveh, those are the folks who, who actually respond to God. So in this story, the storm comes and Jonah's sleeping through it. He's conked out and oblivious to the danger they're all in. It's like how I slept through multiple fire alarms when I was in college. Fortunately, they were all tests, but until our girls came along, I I think I could have even given Jonah a run for his money in, in his ability to sleep through danger. But even when the captain wakes Jonah up, he remains spiritually asleep. 
We've seen how the other sailors and passengers responded to the danger they were all in. They prayed to their gods, they ditched their precious cargo. But Jonah, even when he's awake, is no help. Even when it could cost everyone their lives, he's no help. First, he doesn't really volunteer any information. He doesn't just come out and own up to his fault. No, the sailors have to cast lots, kind of like drawing straws, to find out that it's Jonah's fault. And even then, Jonah doesn't volunteer what's happened or how to fix it. They have to interrogate him to find the truth. Under duress, he admits that the storm will continue as long as he's on the boat. But we see a testament to the character of the sailors when he does admit it, because they don't want to lose anyone, so they try desperately to get to shore rather than give Jonah up to the waves. And even then, this is what's most telling to me. When Jonah knows what must be done, when he's seen the lengths people will go for his sake, he makes someone else do the dirty work. He says, you'll have to throw me overboard. Why didn't he jump himself? Why didn't he... Why did he have to put that on their consciences? Why did he say, you have to throw me in? As a camp counselor, I used to lead groups in trust falls. The basic idea, if you've never done one, is one person stands up on a platform and they fall backwards while two rows of their fellow campers are standing beneath them with interlaced arms ready to catch them. It's a safe exercise. I've never had anyone hurt doing it. But you do have to show folks the right way to do it. If someone bends at the waist as they fall, which is the the natural reaction to falling, all of their weight will be supported by the arms of just a couple folks. If you're falling, you have to, through the force of will, fall backwards rigid and straight so that everyone together is catching you and distributing your weight. The other part is that the person falling has to wrap their arms up and interlock their fingers. It's kind of hard to describe on a podcast, but you have to do it because human instinct is to try and catch yourself when you're falling. And if you've got people down below you ready to catch you, you really don't want to have your instinct take over and your arms go flailing and hit them in the faces. Um, It takes huge amounts of self-control to override your body's instincts when you're falling. The instinct to bend at the waist to ensure your head doesn't hit the ground and get injured, and the instinct to put your hands out to catch yourself. Those responses are ingrained, but counterproductive if you've got people there to catch you. And it all goes back to experience. We've all fallen countless times in our lives, some of us more than others. We've got a whole stage in our life that we name after how frequently we fall. I have a toddler right now and she falls all the time. We know gravity intimately, instinctively. We know the damage it can do if we don't react to it. The first few times you do a trust fall, it takes real concentration and force of will to do it right. But after a few times, the cumulative experience of being caught makes it easier to fight the fear. Jonah is like the kid frozen up on the platform, too terrified to act. 
He knows what needs to be done, but he doesn't yet have the experience of being caught after the fall. He doesn't yet have the experience of being saved to place his trust in. So he has to say to the crew, Y'all throw me overboard. I can't jump. I'm too afraid. Our response to the pandemic is, is kind of like practicing a trust fall. There are adjustments we all need to make, and they don't come naturally to any of us. It's human nature to feel claustrophobic or like you can't breathe with a face mask on. We won't suffocate, but we need experience of that to, to get to a place of acceptance, if not comfort. This is an experience unlike anything in our lifetimes. I think we're all tired of hearing the words unprecedented. But the more we practice, the better we'll be at caring for one another in a sustainable way. And if you hear a bit of a tension between what I said with regard to the sailors and what I said with regard to Jonah, you're right. With the sailors, I said they teach us that self-control is a limited resource to be spent wisely and appropriately for the greatest impact. And with Jonah, I said self-control isn't natural. It has to be practiced and based on experience. And I believe both are true. We need to recognize our human limitations as we respond to coronavirus, being gentle on ourselves because the world sure isn't, and we also need to make sure that we're not selling ourselves and others short. That we can learn and grow a lot if we put our minds and our, our practice to it. If we keep the idea that we are protecting lives in the forefront of our minds, if we remember the sanctity and beauty that all lives can lead to, then that will be the fuel and the motivation we need to continue to work at keeping our community safe and well. We will make it through the storm. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. As far as questions go this week, here is the first. How have you felt about the balance that we're striking as a society in trying to keep everyone safe? Are some groups sacrificing too much, not enough, and how do you personally fit into that picture? Where have you felt yourself stretched thin in recent months? Where have you felt yourself supported in the midst of the challenges? When behavior needs to shift, either as an, on an individual level or societal level, do you think practice makes perfect, or that it's best to save your efforts for when they matter most. I know I just said that I think it's a bit of both, but do you lean more one way or the other, kind of instinctively? Does, does one resonate more with you? Thanks so much for joining me today. If you have any comments or questions or thoughts, You'd, that you'd like to share with me, please feel free to email me at central.umc.podcast at gmail.com. The music for this two-part series has come from Domenico Scarlatti's Keyboard Sonata in D minor. And as always, I'll leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.